All right. Welcome to Family Life Church. Come on in, find a seat. Let's get into it. Amen. Amen. So, wow, what a worship service. That's what it's like um, when the Holy Spirit shows up in the middle of your worship service. Um, and you have a plan, you have a song list, you have something you want to get to, but the Holy Spirit shows up and he has something else he wants to do. And that was good. And I appreciate everybody who uh, pressed in, who joined in, who engaged with that. Things happen in worship when everybody enters in, as opposed to when one person or two people or three people are pressing in. When everybody enters in, there's an expectation and the Lord responds to that. But this is not my sermon at all, so I'll stop talking about it. Um, actually, um, my sermon this morning is the Holy Spirit. And we're starting a new series called the Holy Spirit. And I want to teach on the Holy Spirit and talk about what he does in our lives and what it's like when he comes and falls on us. And so I was planning to introduce it, introduce him to you. But I guess he couldn't wait. He couldn't wait. He was like, I know Ben's got some good stuff planned, but I can't wait. And so he came and he started moving here in our worship service. Some of you felt that. Some of you responded to that. But I do wonder if some of you um, might have been a little confused. Maybe you haven't experienced that in a worship service before uh, and you were like, I'm not sure what's going on. People are getting loud and crazy. The band won't stop playing that same song over and over again. We get it. I know the song. Can we move on? Um, and so I think this is an awesome opportunity to talk about what is the Holy Spirit and what's he doing? What's he up to? Are you guys up for that? All right, let's, let's jump in. <clears throat> when I was 19 years old, I was a young man, uh, not that long ago. When I was 19, I built a house. And I, actually, it's really cool for me. I'm really proud that I'm able to say that. I built a house when I was 19 years old. And that's really impressive. But what's really impressive about that is I had built nothing before that. Like the only thing I built before that was out of Legos. I, wasn't, I didn't have any construction experience. Uh, you had no business out there. Um, but my dad had been a contractor for many years. My dad had built lots of houses. And so he knew what he was doing. Uh, and so he hired me and my cousin to build this big house for him. But the crazy thing about that is that he worked a full-time job. I think it was a car salesman at the time, if I remember right. So he wasn't even there while we were building. So you have two young college students who don't know what they're doing out there building a house. Crazy, right? Maybe a little stupid. Don't tell them I said that. But um, so here's how, it would do. here's how it would work. We would meet with him in the morning, every morning before he would leave for work. We'd meet with him and he'd say, all right, here's what you're going to do today. Now, I don't know how to build a house. I have no idea how to read blueprints and a frame and all this stuff. All I need to know is what is my dad telling me to do today? So today, you're going to carry cement blocks from here to here. Today, you're going to hammer in these beams. Today, you're going to do this or do that. And just one step at a time, trusting that he knows what he's doing and, uh, you know, just following along. And we did. In one summer, we built that house. When I thought about building a house, it, it's way too big of a job for me to, to do on my own. Way too big of a job for me to even know where to start. And like I said, it's, I'm incredibly proud of that. It was a great accomplishment for me to say, hey, I built a house when I was 19. But I could not have done that, make no mistake, I could not have done that without my father's help. 
without my father's uh, instruction and guidance every step of the way. Maybe you can relate to this. I don't know if you've ever had a job or a task or an assignment that you thought, this is too big for me. That I can't do this on my own. Maybe you got a promotion at work or a project dropped on your, on your plate and your boss said, here, I want you to do this. And you're thinking, I don't know. I mean, I lied to my resume, but I really don't have the experience to handle this. You don't have to raise your hand, but maybe some of you have been in that boat before. You're like, I need somebody else's help to accomplish this. That's what we're talking about today. So we're starting a new series. It's called The Holy Spirit in the Book of Acts. We're going to look at some stories in the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is in the New Testament. It's right after the Gospels. It's right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where it shows up. And so the Gospels tell the story of Jesus. And then he was, as you know, hung on a cross, died, buried, and then he appeared to his disciples three days later, alive. And that's where the book of Acts picks up the story. What happens to that group of followers of Jesus after he appears alive and then goes to be with his father? What does the church do? And that's the story of the book of Acts. It's a story of what happened from that point forward. And honestly, if you're part of the church, it's our story. It's the roots of the church is what happens in the book of Acts. Uh, and so these guys are facing an impossible task. If you're familiar with the scriptures, you'll, you'll know that one of the last things that Jesus said to his believers before he left, he said, go, make disciples. Go into all of the world and spread the gospel. Teach everyone to believe in me. And then he left. And so here's this group of poor, uneducated men in a dusty little town in the Middle East, and they're expected to spread the news about Jesus throughout the entire world. Do you see how that's an impossible thing for them to accomplish? And this is before the internet, okay? <laughs> I have to think back. Some of you guys can't think that far back, but back before the internet. So they couldn't just send out an email or post it online or, you know, start a YouTube channel. How are they going to get the word out? I mean, they don't know what they're doing. They're fishermen and, and uh, carpenters and, other, and, you know, workers. How are they going to get this message out? Maybe they hire the right people or train a team or, or you know, start a crusade like, um, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, walking around knocking on doors. Is, is that the best way to get the word out? Honestly, they probably would have failed. They probably would have failed to, to spread the news of Jesus throughout the world, except something incredible happens in the very first chapter. The Holy Spirit falls on them. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and that changes everything. That's what I want to tell you. The Holy Spirit falls on the church, and it changes everything. It changes the story. It changes the people. Impossible things begin to happen. And so the, the book of Acts is a story about the, the beginning of the church, but really the book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit and the way that he moves on people when they are filled by him. Amen? Let's get into it, okay? Um, so if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open them up. We're going to be in the um, book of Acts in chapter 1 this morning. Uh, we're going to start reading in chapter 1 with verse 4. It'll be on the screens, but if you have your Bibles, open them up too so you can follow along. So I'm going to start reading chapter 1, verse 4. And it says, While staying with them, he, 
I just want to pause there and note that he refers to Jesus. Um, if you look at the verses before, you'll see. So, so while staying with them, Jesus ordered them, his, his, the church, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Skip down to verse 8, a couple of verses past that. And he continues and he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we can see this happen. We're going to look at it. And if you flip to chapter 2, the very beginning of chapter 2, just as Jesus said, it happens. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, meaning all the church there, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the place that they were in. And divided tongues that looked like fire, it appeared to them and it rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus, I just pray right now that you would fall upon us. I pray that you would breathe in this word that we just read. I pray that you would teach us what it means, and you would apply it to our lives in the places it needs to be applied. Our hearts are open for you to speak. In your name we pray, and everyone in the room said? Amen. So this is a great story. I love this story. The church gathered wind and fire, and then they're speaking in other languages. A cool story. Every story in the Bible teaches us a lesson. So what's the lesson that we learn from this story? I propose the lesson here is that whenever God gives you a job, he'll give you the help that you need to accomplish it. He tells them to, to tell the whole world about Jesus, but then he gives them the tools that they need. And if you're going to if you're choosing to follow Jesus, if you're choosing to serve Jesus like the early church did, you're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. And here's good news. Good news for you guys. If you ever need help, just ask God for the Holy Spirit. If you ever need help, just ask him for the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about it today or the other day when I was writing this, and I thought, I can't think of a single situation where you can't ask God for the Holy Spirit to help you. I can, I can remember a time when I was uh, working on the brakes in my truck and I couldn't get a bolt off. I've ever been in that place before and I got very, very angry and said some curse words I'd never said before. If you've been there, you know what I mean. Um, and then I prayed and I said, God, I can't, I, I'm stuck here. I don't know what to do. And he helped me realize that I was turning the wrong way. But seriously, though, there's not a situation I can think of where the Holy Spirit can't help you. There's not a situation, not a problem, not a difficulty where you can't ask for God's help, and he will give you the Holy Spirit. Um, so this morning, I'm going to do a brief teaching on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about the promise, the purpose, and the power of the Holy Spirit. I think Pastor Chris would be proud of that alliteration right there. That was for you, Pastor Chris. The... Um, but it's also right in the scripture. So we'll look at the scriptures. Jump back um, to Acts 1, verse 4. That's where we started. I'm going to uh, just break apart some of these verses a little bit and see what we can, what we can, uh, what the Holy Spirit will show us. I said we're going to talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit. So when I read this verse, I want you to ask the question, what is the promise? Okay, let's see if we can see it when we read this verse. 
So, while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you've heard about from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, what's the promise? He said, the promise of the Father is something you've heard about from me. And he's referring to a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples uh, in the garden, or it might have been before the garden, but the, the night before he was arrested. And that conversation is recorded in the book of John, chapter 14. You don't have to flip there if you don't want to. But John, Jesus says to them, to his followers, he said, the Father is going to send you a helper. Sometimes there's other words used, other translations use different words, but my, my Bible says the word helper, and that's a great word. Jesus said to his disciples, Listen, I'm going and I'm leaving you, but don't worry. The Father is going to send you a helper, and he's going to teach you everything you need to know, and he's going to remind you of the things that I've already told you, and he will be with you. So even before Jesus left, even before Jesus gave them the instructions of, of what to do, he promised them the Holy Spirit would be a helper. The Holy Spirit was promised as their helper. And Jesus said, you can see that in the, that verse in Acts we were looking at, he said, you will be baptized. He didn't say, hopefully. He didn't say, try. He didn't say, good luck. He said, it's a promise. You will be baptized. So uh, as a side note here, as we read to the book of Acts, we'll see lots of places where the Holy Spirit moves on the church. Sometimes the word baptized is used, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the phrase filled with is used. Um, and so I just wanted to explain that. The word baptized means, literally, it means to dip into or to submerse or to, to dunk, okay? Um, the word filled means literally filled. You guys know what that word means. So when you are receive the Holy Spirit, are you submerged in the Holy Spirit, or does he fill you? Here's how I think of it. Um, this bowl here, with the water filling it, is the Holy Spirit, okay? This is how my brain works. This is you. You are the cup, right? Hope everybody can see where this is going. So, this is you being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Is the cup immersed in the water, or is the cup filled with the water? Yes, the answer is yes. And the point is, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's in you, it's on you, it's all around you. And it's semantics to try to determine uh, whether it, we use the word baptized, meaning we're in it, or filled, meaning it's in us. The point is, it's all around you. And more importantly than how you visualize it, more important than that is what's happening when that happens. The Father promised that the Holy Spirit would be given to us as a helper so that when Jesus left the earth, his followers would not be alone. We are not alone, and that is good news. Think about it. Like If Jesus is seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven, if he's up there, then we're here all alone, 
except that he promised us the Holy Spirit that is with us, that is in us and around us and all over us. Amen? Okay, so back to my story. When my dad hired me and my cousin to build the house, he didn't just give us instructions and say, here's what you got to do, get it done. Um, the first thing he did was he bought us some tools. Actually, he took us to the store and bought us a bunch of tools. Um, and, and, and I didn't even own a hammer before that. So that tells you how much construction experience I had. So one of the, one of the best things he bought me was this blue-handled 22-pound S-wing framing hammer here. Thing of beauty, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and a bunch of other tools, too. But this, of course, is one of my, was one of our go-to tools. And uh, so we, went, we got to the part in the house building where we were framing the walls. We were putting up the walls. And the instructions that morning were, listen, before we start building the walls, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to assemble all of the jack stands and headers, window headers and door headers. These are different pieces you use when you, when you frame the house. So we're going to assemble all of those ahead of time. That way, when we go to build, they'll all be built together. Which, if you didn't follow any of that, the point is we were spent a whole day nailing two-by-fours together. That's really the point of the, that. Um, so me and my cousin were just out there all day long, bam, 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 just swinging a hammer all day, just endlessly putting two-by-fours together. By the end of that day, our hands were like calloused, our thumbs were all bruised and bloody, um, and it was, it was a long, long day. It actually might have been two days. And I remember the day after we finished, hammering all of those together, my dad brought us another tool, and it was a nail gun. And of course I said, why did you not give us that before? <laughs> you start using a nail gun, and you realize that's a much faster way to put two-by-fours together. Um, and his lesson was, well, I wanted you to learn how to swing a hammer before I gave you a nail gun. It's probably a good lesson. But then we started putting walls together, and we started using nail guns to put the walls together. And you know what I realized? that it's a lot faster, and it's a lot easier. In fact, it's almost fun to build with a nail gun. If anyone has ever used a nail gun, you'll know what I'm talking about. This is the fun part of the job right here. And I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit is the same way. The Holy Spirit makes it faster and easier and way more fun to do what we're called to do. Jesus calls us to follow him in his way of life. You guys with me? And that way of life is to love God, to love others. It's to forgive our enemies, to care for the poor, to give of ourselves. And that sounds great, and we're all like, yeah, sign me up for that. But really, let's be honest. When you get into it, that's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Some of that can be really hard to do. When you try to do that on your own, it becomes overwhelming. If you say, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to love God, I'm going to love people, and I'm going to do it on my own, that's exhausting. That's demanding. That's not a lifestyle that any of us want to sign up for, right? And that is not the lifestyle that God um, is calling us into. He's calling us into a lifestyle filled with the Holy Spirit where we, we find joy in these things, where we find it easy to do these things. One of the most useful prayers I've learned to pray is simply, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. Last week, um, I was the director of a kid's camp, Camp Judah. It's a Christian summer camp our church is involved with, and I was the director. And at one point, someone came over to me and said, uh, 
oh, there's this little boy sitting over there, and he's not talking anymore, and he doesn't want to go anywhere, and he's sitting on the ground, and he just refuses to move. And so I tell, the, I, you know, I tell whoever told me, all right, you guys can go back with the rest of your cabin group. I got it. Don't worry. And immediately I start thinking, I don't got it. I don't know what I'm going to say to this little kid. So I'm walking across the field towards him thinking, well, should I yell at him? Should I take away his privileges? Should I, you know, make him stay in his cabin? What am I supposed to do? Grab him and drag him? Um, what if he starts running? Because this has happened before. What if he just starts running into the woods? Like, so I <laughs> want to be careful, you know, kind of like I would approach like a wild animal, you know, like what's the right way? So I'm, as I'm walking across the field towards him, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to say to this kid? And I, I, kn- I know a little bit of this kid's um, personality, and I know he's challenging. So I'm like, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. Help me. Holy Spirit, help me. I get there, and I feel um, to approach it very gently. And I talk to him a little bit. He doesn't say anything to me. Actually, the only thing he said to me was, he said, I don't care if everyone in the world dies. And I went, whoa. <laughs> That got intense, <laughs> but I was like, it's okay, it's okay, we're not all going to die. Um, so I, started, I got down to his, his level, and I started talking to him a little bit, and I said, listen, I'm really hot, I'm going to go get some water, you want some water? He opened up to that. So I got him some water, we started talking. What's going on, man? What are you upset about? Come to find out, he was upset because he dropped and broke his egg as he was going through the obstacle course, which makes sense, Right? We can all relate to that. How many of us have dropped our eggs before? And Yeah, I get it. I would sit down and cry if I dropped my egg on the obstacle course. The point of the story was I knew I needed the Holy Spirit's help to know how to deal with this camper, how to talk to him, and how to get him to move. So learn that prayer. Holy Spirit, help me. Whatever situation we face in life, we have this promise from our Father in heaven that Holy Spirit is always available. Just ask. If you have any problems, if you ever need help, just ask for the Holy Spirit. I said we were going to look at the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at Acts 1.8, the next verse there, and we're going to ask ourselves, what's the purpose? It was promised that we'd have the Holy Spirit, but why? What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? So chapter 1, verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. So, it's clear to me from my reading of this verse that the Holy Spirit was given to the church so they would have the power to spread the gospel. Just so we're on the same page about the gospel, Jesus has done all of the work We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about your salvation. We're talking about your place in heaven. Jesus has done all of the work. It's finished. He lived a perfect life. He sacrificed himself. He defeated death. He defeated guilt and shame. And he offers new life to anyone who will put their faith in him. Anyone who will recognize him as the Lord receives forgiveness and freedom. You don't earn your salvation. I'm talking about spreading the gospel. I'm talking about sharing God's love. And none of that earns your salvation. If your faith is in Jesus, you have God's forgiveness. You have God's approval. Do you hear me? All of the work is done. 
Sorry, I love preaching the gospel. But back to the Holy Spirit. So Acts 1.8 is a really important verse in the book of Acts. Acts 1.8, this verse here, is the theme of the entire book of, the, of Acts. So if you get this, basically you get the whole book. And it's, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will spread the good news. In, in fact, if you were to summarize the book of Acts, if you want to summarize the whole book in one sentence, it would be, they receive the Holy Spirit and they spread the love of Jesus. That's what happens over and over and over again. You see story and story again in the book where they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they go out with the, with the, uh, and spread the gospel. That's the story. But it's more than just the story. I believe that's a model for us to follow, for you and I to follow. Year, thousands of years later, same model. Filled with the Holy Spirit and then sharing the love of Christ. Uh, now, when we put our faith in Jesus, uh, we receive his nature. We receive Christ-like nature in us. But we need the Holy Spirit's help to live that out. It's in us. There's a new person in us. But you know, I'm going to be honest here. Um, there's a new man inside of me. But I don't always act like a new person. Sometimes I act like the old person. You, know, you follow me? Like I know that's not who I was called to be, but sometimes I act that way. And the Holy Spirit helps us to act out that Christ-like nature that's in all of us. I, I would like to think that the decision to follow Jesus would just take care of all my problems and all my issues and make me a better person. Unfortunately, that has not yet proven to be the case. And that's true for any of you guys, but um, it's been a process. And you know what? We can see the same thing with the disciples. Think about this. The men who were following Jesus, they spent about three years following him. They heard him teach. They saw him do all kinds of miracles. He taught them things. Even when he would, ex he would give like a parable, then he would explain it to his disciples. So they got the inside track on what he was talking about. And yet, at the end of three years, we still see, no offense, Peter, but we see a lot of foolishness and a lot of immaturity in these guys. Three years, after spending three years with Jesus, wouldn't you think three years day-to-day -day with Jesus would do something to you? Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off a guy's ear in, in his excitement. Um, J James and John, they asked Jesus to rain down fire on some people that they didn't like. These guys are arguing about who gets the best seat at the table. I'm like, come on, so immature. The, I mean, these are not, let's say you, let's say you were going to start a religion and you wanted to spread the news of your religion around the world, these are not the guys that you would pick. These are not the CEOs of your new, uh, your new mission. But after they received the Holy Spirit, it changed everything. After they received the Holy Spirit and began to work in their life, we see a change in their character. We see Peter stand up and begins to lead the church with restraint even, and wisdom and discernment. We see these men um, face persecution, even death. No longer are they afraid uh, or scared or selfish, but they begin to, the character of Jesus begins to work out in them. Now, I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I don't want you to think that maturity comes instantly when you receive the Holy Spirit. That's not true. But I do believe, I firmly believe, 
that the Spirit accelerates the growth of maturity and character in your life. If you receive the Holy Spirit, it quickens that growth in you. He helps us to walk in our new Christ-like nature. And that is something we all need help with. Amen? We all need help. If you ever need help, you can just ask God for the Holy Spirit. So in this verse, it says, um, Jesus told them, you will receive power. And that's the next thing I want to talk about, is the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we're going to look now at Acts 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, where we see the power come and begin to move in the church. And as we read this passage, I'm going to ask you to think, what was the power? If they received power, what was that power? So you guys with me in, in Acts 2, verse 1, we're going to start there. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, the church was all together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound, and it was like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole place. And then there were tongues of fire that appeared on top of them, and it rested on each one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Just take a minute and try to imagine what that prayer meeting would be like. You're sitting around, someone's praying, maybe it's been a long prayer service, it's later at night, Peter's praying again, he's going on and on, you're getting tired. <laughs> you, come on, you guys have been in long prayer meetings before, right? Suddenly, it sounds like a hurricane in the room. Things are like noisy and loud and what's that sound? You look at fire is appearing. Suddenly, fire on, on everybody. That'll keep you away. I mean, that's the kind of prayer meeting I want to go to. You know what I mean? I've been to enough prayer meetings where you're, you're struggling to stay awake and try, struggling to pay attention. Here, we've got <laughs> hurricane and flames showing up. And I almost wonder if maybe God was just like, hey, guys, heads up. Wake up. Something's coming. <laughs> so the wind and the fire here represent power. Powerful wind great fire. These represent power. And, and I'm guessing that the wind and the fire, that's God's way of signifying something world-changing is happening here. It's a sign, like, this is not a small thing. This has the power to shake things up. And that's about what's about to happen. So verse 4 there, it says, um, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then what happened? They began to speak in other languages. Languages that they did not know how to speak. Okay? That's impossible. It's impossible to speak a language you don't know. Right? The Holy Spirit enables us to do impossible things. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do what would normally be impossible. The story goes on in the next couple of verses there. There are a bunch of people who are in the city of Jerusalem from other countries. And they were like, what? I, they were amazed. How are they speaking our language? So somehow, these Jewish men, by the power of the Holy Spirit, were able to speak in a language they didn't know. It's impossible to speak in a language you don't know. And the book of Acts is filled with all kinds of these impossible things. Just like, just like, just like the gospel stories are filled with Jesus doing miracles and impossible things, the book of Acts is filled with stories of the church doing impossible things. And that church, that's the model 
That's the church that you and I are part of, called to do impossible things, empowered to do impossible things. Amen? People were healed from sickness. There was a cripple guy who got up and started walking. Dead people came back to life. Some people were rescued from certain death. There's even a story about an apostle who suddenly vanished and then mysteriously reappeared in another city somewhere far away. So, am I saying to you that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can suddenly speak Chinese or Swahili and that you can zap yourself to another city far away? Is that what I'm, is that what I'm telling you? Maybe, I don't know. There's only one way to find out, right? He can do impossible things. I wouldn't put it past him. Speaking in a language, you already know that that would be a miracle. But you know what would be an even greater miracle? Speaking in English to people that you know with the love of Christ and with the joy and patience and goodness of God. Sometimes <laughs> that's a greater miracle, right? Like if they, were, if they were moving in the Spirit and began to speak in a language they didn't know, maybe they didn't even know what they were saying. Or maybe they did, but they were just empowered by the Holy Spirit. Which can you imagine talking to people that you do know, people that you do interact with, and being moved by the Spirit of God to speak to them in, in, um, in a godly way? So I'll give you an example of this. Years ago, I worked at a music store. And um, actually, this is funny, but one of the things that I was most known for was selling accordions. I was the top accordion salesman at our music store. It's true, I'm not making this up. All, all without playing a single note. I couldn't play a single note in an accordion, but I knew how to sell them. Uh, and so there was this other uh, co-worker, another guy who worked there, who worked with accordions, and he did like repairs and lessons and other stuff like that. And uh, we worked together pretty closely for you know, a lot of stuff. And one day, he sent this long email to me and my boss, and he complained about all these things about me that he didn't like, and he accused me of all of these things. He said, that, um, he said that I didn't trust him and believe him when he told me you know, how to do something with the accordion. He said that I never wanted to listen to his way of, of thinking. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about the accordion. Whatever you say, I believe you because I, I'm not like reading Wikipedia about accordions at night. I'm, whatever you say is all that I know. And then he said that like, I was trying to keep the customers for myself. I didn't want to like send customers to him because I was trying to like start my own accordion group. And I'm like, what? No, I have no interest in accordions. Okay, this is just a paycheck here. I'm not like, this is not my dream to have an accordion museum or something. <laughs> and like he had these other accusations about me that the things he thought I was doing. And I'm like, what are you, <laughs> you're, you're crazy. You're in, you're, you've lost your mind. You're old and insane. I want to start an accordion business? Like, what? And so what I, this is what I thought when I got his email. And I was angry and just like, whatever. Honestly, my, my tendency, I don't know how you guys would respond to that. Maybe you would get like angry and want to confront him and yell at him. That's not me. My personality, I was just going to be like, okay. And then just be passive aggressive, passive aggressive towards him for the rest of my life. Just complain about him behind his back. That's what, that's what, that, was my, that was my intention. That was my, my tendency. Um, and I remember I actually sat down and I like started writing an email like 
And then I was like, you know what? I'm not going to write this email right now. And I told my boss, I, I, I'll, I'll go think about it later. My boss was a believer. So I said, let me, let me just pray about it. So I went home, and I remember praying, like, Holy Spirit, should I quit this job? Should I try to get this guy fired? What am I supposed to do here? And I prayed about it. And the next day I came back, and I, felt, I seriously felt like this was like a word from God. Um, the Holy Spirit led me here. And I, I responded to him, and I said, like, listen, I'm sorry if, you, if I made you feel that way. I'm sorry if anything I did communicate that to you. That is not at all what I meant to communicate. And I explained some things, like the reason why I sometimes talk to customers instead of letting them talk to him. There's a good reason for that. Um, but I said, like, uh, you know, whatever, yeah, I don't want to step on your toes. And so I feel like the, the email that I ended up sending was much more mature, measured response than I would have initially sent him, okay? You guys are nodding your head, so I think you can follow along with what I'm talking about here. And, and it was good because my boss could see the email, my other coworkers could see the email, and they, they, it was an example to them of what happens when you wait for the Holy Spirit to lead you and to do an impossible thing, not, you know, not respond aggressively, uh, but as the Lord was leading me. I believe the Holy Spirit empowers us to do impossible things, and I do believe that includes miracles. I believe that includes provision, mir- miraculous provision, um, and prophecies, and words. I believe that. But I also believe that sometimes the impossible thing the Holy Spirit is trying to do is character growth in our lives. Sometimes that seems more impossible, but that's the thing that the Holy Spirit likes to do. In fact, there's another place in the New Testament where it describes the work of the Holy Spirit, it describes the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You might be familiar with this teaching. If the Holy Spirit's working in your life, there will be greater love for people. There will be joy in circumstances. There will be peace during crisis. You will have greater patience to deal with your children. That's, that's what my Bible says. And kindness and goodness and self-control. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the stuff I need help with. Anyone else in that boat with me? That's the stuff I need help with is that character growth stuff. The Holy Spirit was given to help us do impossible things. And if you want that help, all you have to do is ask. It's as simple as the prayer that I, I talked about. Holy Spirit, help me. You don't have to be in a church. You don't have to have a preacher praying for you. You don't need loud music. You don't need wind and fire, as cool as that would be. All you need is to ask God for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive this morning, um, and I'm going to do it real simple. Sometimes in churches, when we, when we make a place for people to receive the Holy Spirit, uh, we like to ask them to come forward. We lay hands on them. We pray for them. But I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to give you an opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit right where you're at. And the reason is because I want you to see this pattern as something you can do anytime, anywhere, in any situation. Whether you get an email from your coworker that makes you angry, you have a kid who's sitting on the ground that won't stand up, you have an, uh, uh, a bolt on your vehicle that won't come loose, it doesn't matter where you're at. You can take this any moment and say, Holy Spirit, help me. Actually, the simple prayer I'd give you is this, Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Just take a minute, pray that simple prayer. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fall upon us right now. Come fall upon us right now, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Power us to do those things. Jesus, I pray for my sisters and my brothers in this room right now who are inviting the Holy Spirit to fill them. And I pray that you would see their hunger, see their openness, and give them the promise that the Father promised, the gift of the Spirit. Empower them to do impossible things. Empower them to grow in their character. Remind them that you're with them every day. Pray your Spirit will continue to rest on us even as we go. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.